So the the biggest USP for us is the hit and strength combo and our baseline technology. So if I just met someone, I'd be like, base is a hit and strength training studio. We offer group classes and personal training. What really makes us great is that we have technology that tracks and records your results as you go through a group class training program. So you really get to see yourself improve every single time you come to base because we feel like that's something that's missing in group class training. We have an app that's linked to that. So you get to see which sets are coming up before you come to base. You get to connect with other members. There is a competitive element if you want to use that. And we've found this gets better results than your standard group class training program. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is a guest for this episode, Mr. Jack Thomas. To let you in, I like to, I like to share with you kind of my thoughts and my approach to programming for All About Fitness. And to let you in behind the curtain a little bit, most of the programming I do on All About Fitness is for the fitness consumer, for the average consumer. My goal with All About Fitness is to help you learn how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. And most of the time I'm speaking with researchers or various people that know how to apply fitness. But I also like to bring you content about the fitness industry itself. If you've been a fitness consumer for years, if you've been going to gyms, studios, if you enjoy working out, one of the things that, that I like to do on the podcast is peel back the curtain and show you how the fitness industry operates. Talk to various people who help make the products, the facilities, the programs that make you sweat. Now, that includes a variety of different people from the fitness industry. I've interviewed inventors. I've interviewed executives from equipment companies. I've interviewed executives from health clubs. And on this episode, we speak with a young man who started a fitness studio in Bangkok, Thailand. As you hear from the introduction, Jack is a funny talker. I say that lovingly as a rugby player. We always, in American rugby, we would call anybody with an accent a funny talker. We'd call him an accent. And Jack is an accent. He's originally from the United Kingdom. Somehow he ended up in Bangkok, and you'll hear that story. One of the things that he did while he was in Bangkok is he saw the opportunity to work in the fitness industry. Jack saw that in an emerging market like Thailand, there's an opportunity to provide fitness services to the people that live there. And you'll, you'll hear who his customers are. Now, the interesting thing, one of the things that's cool is you'll, you'll hear in the interview, too, that Jack and I have a mutual friend in common. It turns out that, that I know one of Jack's good friends and mentors, a guy by the name of Rich Cohen. Now, Rich and I first met a number of years ago, back in 2009, when I spoke at the first Asia Fitness Conference. I've had the opportunity in my career, and it's, it, it's a privilege, I've had the opportunity and the privilege in my career to speak at a couple of first fitness events in the Asian region. In 2009, I spoke at the first Asia Fitness Conference. In 2018, I spoke at the first IDEA Conference in Shanghai, China. In 2019, I spoke at the first International Fitness Conference in Delhi, India. And for the past number of years, ever since 2009, I've been doing a lot of work in Asia. I've been doing a lot of fitness work in Asia. In fact, 2020, by no surprise, was the first year I did not make a trip to Asia since 2009. Now, we're in America. We've been doing fitness for years. And you may or may not know, if you're a new listener at All About Fitness, you may not know this, but my undergraduate degree is actually in economics. I got my master's degree in exercise science, but my undergrad is in economics. Now, if you look at that, that's actually not a bad application because economics is about managing scarcity, managing scarce resources. And there's no resource more scarce than time. So I try to apply the thought process of an economist 
to fitness so we can be as, as efficient and effective as possible. Hat tip to Peter Drucker, but we can be as efficient and as effective as possible so we get the maximum return on our workouts. The interesting thing about the international market is that for years we've sent we've sent jobs, we've sent a number of things over to Asia, but we've also sent our lifestyle. Along with our jobs, we've been sending a lot of other things to Asia. We've been sending the car lifestyle, we've been sending fast food, we've been sending screen time. So now a lot of Asian countries are dealing with our problems with obesity, onset diabetes, and all these issues. And a lot of the countries from Thailand to China to Malaysia to Philippines are trying to be active and promote fitness to their population. And fitness is, is booming in Asia. And that's why I want to speak with Jack today. Jack not only owns and operates the base fitness studio in Bangkok, Thailand, but he also does a podcast called Fitness Business Asia Podcast. And what I wanted to do with this conversation is to bring you some insight into how the other parts of the world are doing fitness. And I found it fascinating. Jack's going to share with me about the fitness industry and how COVID impacted the fitness industry in Thailand. And it really is, that in of itself is a fascinating story. Now, if you want to learn more about exercise, if you want to learn more about how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life, you can support the podcast a couple of different ways primarily by buying a piece of content for me. That's how I support the podcast. That's how I can keep doing this, bringing you great information, bringing you great guests. You have a couple different options. You can buy a copy of my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. I've been educating personal trainers for almost two decades. And in Smarter Workouts, I teach you what you need to know to design your own exercise programs. I also have a great ebook called Functional Core Training. The Functional Core Training ebook is $7.00 which is about the cost of a magazine. And in functional core training, you'll learn how to design exercise programs for your entire body from the core on out. Programs for stability, strength, power, everything you need to make a strong, stable body that will last you a lifetime. That's the functional core training ebook. I also have the total body core training course. It's an online course that goes deeper into the science. The ebook is an overview of the science, but the total body core training course goes deep into the science and how to apply it. And provides a number of examples. The Total Body Core Training course includes the ebook. That course is $67. Now, you don't need to be a fitness professional to take the course. If you just want to learn more about designing exercise programs, that's why I wrote Total Body Core Training. But if you are a fitness professional, if you're a personal trainer, if you're a group fitness instructor, you can earn four ACE credits. That's continuing education credits. You can earn four CECs from ACE and five from NASA and AFA. So ACE awarded at four CECs, NASM and AFA awarded at five CECs, and you can do total body core training to help meet your education requirement for your certification. Now, if you don't want to buy a piece of content, that's cool, but you can go to my website, sign up on my email list. My website is www.petemccallfitness.com. That's petemccallfitness.com. If you go to my website, sign up for my mailing list, I will send you a chapter from Smarter Workouts along with a workout. That way you can try it before you buy it. But not only that, I'll send you one or two high quality emails a month teaching you and showing you how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. I blog on PeteMcCallFitness.com. I put up a lot of good content. In fact, if you want to see this interview, you can catch it on the All About Fitness Podcast YouTube channel. I'm just trying to make, I'm trying to make and create and produce resources that can help you learn how to use exercise to not only enhance your quality of life, but to slow down the aging process. On this episode, this is a fascinating discussion 
about the international business of fitness with Mr. Jack Thomas, the founder of the Base Fitness Studio in Bangkok, Thailand, and the host of the Fitness Business Asia podcast. I'm Pete McCall, and today I'm speaking, well, it's time for me and today for you, Jack. I'm speaking today with Jack Thomas. And Jack, where, where are you right now? I think this is, I, I, it always kills me, as modern as this is, the different time zones. So where are you right now, and what time of day is it for you? Yeah, I'm in Bangkok, so we're pretty much as far forward as we could possibly be. I mean, 15 hours ahead of you. So Sunday evening where you are, Monday morning where I am in Bangkok, Thailand. So yeah, pretty warm, pretty humid today. Definitely look out the window and know you're in Asia. Well, it's it's a trip, right? Because whenever I'm in whenever I'm in Asia, it always feels like I'm time traveling because I'm like a half a day ahead of everybody I know back in the states, like my family and everybody back in the states. So whereabouts you're from? Where are you from originally, and how long have you been in Bangkok? So I'm from Bristol in the UK. That's where I was born and raised. Uh, I came to Bangkok first of all in 2003. Um, that was when I was working at a corporate job in the UK for one of the big banks there. I was starting to kind of get a bit disheartened with the corporate lifestyle. Came out to visit a friend who was traveling, backpacking here in Thailand. Spent two weeks here in, in Thailand. Spent some amazing time on a secluded little island down in the south of Thailand. Traveled, you know, a little bit through the country. And it just kind of gave me a glimpse into what life could be, really. So I went back to the UK realized as I walked through the door of the bank that it's definitely not where I wanted to be. <laughs> Pretty much immediately gave my notice to my boss. I wanted to be as fair as possible. So just told him, look, I'm not going to hang around for much longer. And then had six months of working two jobs. So I was working the bank in the daytime, Oof. a bar job in the nighttime to just save as much money as I possibly could. And then in late 2003, came traveling here to Thailand with the original intention of staying here for about six months and then going to Australia on a working visa. And I kind of thought, you know, who knows where this could lead? Perhaps I'll live in Australia. Perhaps I'll spend a few years there. As it turned out, I got stuck in Thailand. So <laughs> to give you the brief bio, I was teaching English for a while. It's kind of like a fun traveler thing to do. Then I started a clothing export business after seeing an opportunity there with some really be cool locally designed stuff that had a very Japanese Asian influence that did really well for about five six years and then kind of started to trail off a little bit 2008 2009 economic crisis really hit that business hard mm. so then I got into the fitness industry in 2011 so I went back to the UK did my full certs came back to a very young and immature industry in Bangkok and then yeah in the last 10 years definitely seen it sort of grow develop and blossom and it's been really cool to have been a part of that as well well, for listeners, I want to. It's it's interesting to. Sometimes I like just jumping into the conversation, right? And so, for listeners, the reason why we're speaking with Jack today is I want to give us an insight into how fitness is doing in other parts of the world. And Jack and I met via email a couple of years ago uh, through because I do some work in Asia for a couple of different companies. And what's really fascinating is also too Jack does the Fitness Business Asia podcast and he has three he said he has three studios. I was looking on your website and I was reading your bio on the one, but you have three studios in Bangkok. And now Jack what you may not realize in in your bio it said you've been a speaker at Fitness Asia, which is probably the largest fitness conference in Southeast Asia that takes place in Bangkok every fall, but I was I had the privilege of being the first, one of the first speakers at the first one in 2009. And I have to say, I went, I went back in 2019, so to, to see the difference in the 10 years and just how much fitness has blown up in Asia, I'm interested in, what's your perception? You were living in Thailand and you got in fitness in 2011. First of all, what got you interested in fitness? What, what opportunity did you see 
that made you think that there's a business model there you could that you could pursue it's really cool that you got to see that progress. You know, I got in the fitness industry in 2011, so a little bit after you initially came here. But actually, I arrived in 2003, 2004. I joined my first gym in 2005, I believe. So I've kind of, and then there was nothing happening whatsoever. So first as a consumer, then as a coach, then as a business owner, I've kind of seen the full evolution of Thailand's fitness industry, really. So I'll, I'll give you the brief background and just jump yeah, in at any point that you want to. Well, real quick, if, if I can cut in for one second, Jack, you're, what part of the UK are you from? Bristol. Bristol. Have you spent much time in London? I have, yeah. Okay, because I did my semester abroad in 1993, and this will give you an idea of how much the industry has grown. I did my semester abroad in 1993, and there were two gyms in London in 1993. I was looking, I was in America, I was playing, well, I wasn't playing, I was on my football team on my college, I'll be clear about that, I was on the team, I wasn't playing on the team, but I was looking for a gym to stay, and there was one posh gym, which I couldn't afford, and one gym, which is which was more of a cruising scene for guys looking for other guys, nothing wrong with that, just <laughs> wasn't where I wanted to be working out as a, as a 20-year-old male, so think about that going back to 1993, and you know what the fitness scene is like in London now, how much that's grown, so talk a little bit about the opportunity that you've seen and the growth that you've seen in Thailand. So I think this is fascinating. It's funny you should say that because the first gym that opened up here or the first kind of sort of chain big box gym that had all the lights and sound was kind of a little bit like that. You know, it was quite niche. It was pretty much only the gay community that was actually training in gyms at the time. So it ended up turning out to be pretty much the same thing. But it was called California Wow. They opened up across Asia very quickly, very aggressive expansion. Um, and an American guy that came in to do that and they put a lot of money into it. Uh, they opened up in Hong Kong, Singapore, Thailand. And that was really the birth of the fitness industry really here in Thailand. Before that, it was just hotel gyms, really. So there wasn't really much going on. And so they had these massive speakers out the front, very aggressive sales tactics, and they did pretty well. They expanded very quickly, but their model was fundamentally flawed and they used to sell these long-term memberships. You mm. know, you'd pay like $500 for a lifetime membership. So, you know, it didn't last very long. It wasn't really built on strong financial foundations. So I think that lasted until about 2011 in the end. And then they, they went bankrupt in quite a high profile case. But that was really the birth because they were doing something quite different, very energetic, very lively, very Western. So I was a client of theirs. I bought my lifetime membership and got very good usage out of it before they went bankrupt. And it was actually being in that gym and seeing some other gyms as well and just seeing the poor quality of personal training inspired me originally to get into the industry. Now, at the time, I didn't really see the full potential. I never would have predicted that 10 years later, it would become what it has become. But I looked around, I saw coaches that were kind of on their phones a lot, or they were um, kind of more interested in themselves, or they were just kind of glorified rep counters and weren't really doing a fantastic job. And I was really getting into my training at the time. I knew some foreigners in Bangkok that were doing well as freelance trainers. So I just saw an opportunity. I you know, I wanted to help people get fitter, stronger, healthier. That was kind of my original mission for getting into the industry. And that still stayed true to this day. Went to the UK, did my certifications. Like As I said, business wasn't going so well. So I was looking for a, a change of career, something that I, I thought I'd be good at and thought I would enjoy. Came back to Bangkok, still a very young industry, not really much happening. Got introduced to a guy from the UK who had a very small training studio. It was kind of like a converted office. Did a few group classes, did some park boot camps, and did personal training in this small space. I worked there for a year before we opened up our second location, which was called The Lab. And that was pretty much the first mm. high-end boutique training fitness studio in Bangkok. So we were doing you know, on the higher end of the market. 
Richard Cohen. Okay, yeah, yeah, I was going to say that sounded like Richard's place. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah I so I worked with Richard for four years. He was probably at 2009 AFC. He, that that's you where were we met. Yeah, at. that's where we met. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. We're still good friends to this day. I worked with Richard for four or five years before I left to set up base. The lab is still open. It's still going strong today. So just to give you a bit of background and sort of how that developed, first year, I just took every opportunity I could to learn. I was doing 6 a.m. boot camps. I was doing Sunday evening personal training sessions. I needed to earn money because when I came back, I had some credit card debts in my name. That was it. (laughs) So I needed to earn money, but also I wanted to get as much experience as possible. So I was taking every possible session I could. You know, uh, I did this aqua boot camp class for some middle-aged expats in their swimming pool, really doing everything I could. And I think actually when when it came to open base, looking back, You know, really, I was doing it just for the experience and the money, but it really built the foundations for me setting up my own business because I'd done so many different types of training sessions that when it came to like running events like we did with Adidas, our sponsor a few years ago, I just felt very comfortable doing that because I'd had so much varied experience in the industry, threw myself into it. We opened the lab. It was pretty much, um, it was you could say it was an overnight success. And that straight away, Thai people were very attracted to doing this kind of training because suddenly mm. we had this great location. We had a great view. It was very Instagrammable. The place was decorated all night. So it had a real edgy feel. And pretty much overnight, we went from being about 2% Thai to being about 30% Thai pretty oh, wow. much overnight. And then over the next few years, we phased into being about 50-50. So half expats, half Thai. And now the fitness industry is very much Thai heavy. You know, us at base, we're about 70, 75% Thai. So that's been really cool to see that shift. And that has caused the fitness industry to explode. The fact that it's not just expats now, it's Thais that also do this. So through my journey at the lab, I went from coach to fitness manager. Richard moved to Australia for a few years. So during that time, I was running the facility. And then in 2016, I felt ready to open up base. So that was kind of the next stage of my journey. Well, it's funny you say that because I had uh, Richard and I had dinner back in 2014. I was in uh, Sydney for something and oh, we nice. had dinner uh but what by manly maybe maybe manly beach yeah, that's right yeah, i want to yeah, say yeah, yeah. so we met up with um yeah met up with him there and, and richard and, and it's funny i'll follow up with him because he really struck me as a solid entrepreneur and what's fascinating about the story jack is we look in the west we have this very in the west we tend to look down on our noses at countries like thailand or other countries there but there's so much opportunity because they they want to be kind of like the Westerners. They want to be – that's the one thing that struck me. Well, the one thing that struck me about being in Thailand quite a bit is a lot of their advertising tends, tends to be focused on having a Western appeal. Like having – you know, looking they, – they pick – even though they're, they're Thai, they pick Thai models that are very kind of – have that Western appeal. So if you could, what I want to ask about next is because you've, you've alluded to the expats. And I was, I was surprised. When, when I was first – the first couple of years – I would go to Bangkok and I was meeting people that lived in Singapore, KL, Kuala Lumpur, Hong Kong. Most of them were Brits or were Aussies or Kiwis. That's why I asked if you're a Kiwi right away. What what is the expat community like? I mean, are there a number? How many expats are there in Bangkok and what kind of community is it for for people that go there for, for international work? Yeah, there's about three to four hundred thousand expats in Bangkok, so it's you know it's, it's a pretty oh, wow. large number. Uh, I think Japanese are the highest um, uh, number of expats, and then I think Brits follow shortly after that. So you know there, there's there's many businesses that sort of first focus towards expats, and then the ties started consuming that kind of thing as well and you've kind of seen that across the board in many different industries and fitness is certainly no exception you know with our old studio it's pretty much all foreigners 
you know, especially the park boot camps, that was like an interesting one. Like ties didn't want to do it. They got dirty. They got sweaty. They preferred air conditioning. They didn't really do much strength training then. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't something that was really happening, which was obviously, you know, they were missing out a lot by not doing strength training. They saw it as something that would make them big and bulky. Like even the guys kind of thought that. As I said, it was pretty much only the gay community that embraced that. But then once we opened up the lab and a few other studios and high quality fitness businesses opened up, started to educate the market a little bit more. And now I'm proud to say that it based with our strength training classes, it's pretty much all Thai females, which is really cool. And it just goes to show how far the industry has come and how much the market's been educated since well, then. When did you open up your first location, Jack? When Was it about what, 2015 or 2016? So 2016 was when okay. we opened up our first location. Then the second one a year after that, third one a year after that. So 2017 and 2018. And where so what kind of because you you alluded to having an Instagram friendly kind of environment what to what level do you credit like that 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 social media has social media played a role in your success and has social media kind of played a role in fitness becoming more mainstream among the native Thai population. I would say yes, absolutely. It's definitely played a big part. They definitely love their social media here. I think Instagram was one of the, I think the, the, the most Instagram places in the world oh, wow. tend to be in Thailand. If you look at the top 10, there are some random malls. So yeah, they love Instagram. They love social media. They've definitely thrown themselves into that. And that's definitely an important part, I would say, of building this sort of a premium experience, whether that's in F&B, whether that's in gyms. And I think that's something that you kind of see in the UK now as well, in the US, but probably not to the same level as here. My personal take on that, as long as the gym has integrity, it's doing the right things. If that brings people in, then so be it. And I think some people come for the Instagram and they stay for the training, they stay for the results. And I think that's absolutely fine. And then, of course, you do get a few people that come in. All they want is a good photo. You know, it is what it is. But again, at least we get the opportunity to show them what we do, make them fitter, stronger, healthier, happier. Well, when you look at it, mate, it looks like that Instagram and YouTube are almost expressly designed for what we do in fitness. How, how have you used those? To, as you build your brand and you're building a, a business there, how have you leveraged the, those media in order to be able to communicate with potential members? Well, I think anywhere in the world, of course, social media is probably the primary way to market to anyone now. But as I just said, with Thailand, it's so popular here, you kind of have to embrace that side of things. So, you know, at the beginning of base, we chose to do the marketing in-house. We spoke to some freelancers here. We spoke to some agencies and I just didn't really feel like I could trust them with my brand, to be honest with you. And so that, I would say, hurt us for six months and then paid big dividends down the line. So to give you an idea of time frame, we opened up in August 2016, and 2016 was tough for us. We knew we created something special. We knew the experience was good. Like We knew the location was great, but not enough people were coming through the door. It was really only that January 2017, so about four or five months in, that we really started to gain traction. I think that's because I learned more about marketing along the way, and then eventually we brought in, um, uh, I brought in some assistants, and I taught her on the things that I was doing. And so now I would say it's one of our real strong points. We do all of our marketing in-house. We're very comfortable with it. Um, You know, obviously we do the classic sort of landing pages, Facebook ads, Instagram ads. But more importantly than that, we kind of use Instagram to build the brand. So just one little thing that we did is we started a few months in to get in basically professional photographers to take Mm -hmm. high quality images, videographers to come in. And so really sort of started to present our brand in a better way, in a better light. So that, I also another point that I'll make as well. We worked with a branding company in the UK that were fantastic. So although I'd worked with, you know, a marketing agency back at the lab, 
working with this branding company that did such an amazing job really taught me a lot about branding. You know, taught me that it's more than just the brand assets, although those, those are important. You know, it's every little touch point that everybody has with your brand along the way. So kind of understanding that, recognizing that and putting that into action really helped us to get a grip on it about six, seven months into the business. And that's just paid massive dividends moving forwards. I think that was actually the reason that we won Asia's Gym of the Year in 2018. You know, it was a regional awards. It was in Jakarta, but there was judges based all around uh, Asia. Uh, many of them hadn't been to base. So I think they had to rely on their, maybe their friends had been to base, what they'd heard of us, but also how we portrayed our brand online. And that, to be honest, mostly would have been Instagram and Facebook. We'd also got a lot of good PR. So we'd been featured in you know, Men's Health Magazine, GQ Magazine, that kind of thing. And so I actually think it was our online presence that won us that award, really, because we were presented so well there. Well, and it's funny you say PR, um, funny you say PR, Jack, because when I look at this, if I were working on, if I were building a business, if I were going to be building like what you're doing, building a studio business or building a fitness business, I would invest my money heavily in PR as opposed to advertising. Because if you go the advertising route, then you're selling just based on a price without creating a perception. But what is PR? When you look at PR, what does when you get good PR, like getting that award, you, you got one award in 2018, correct? Didn't you get another award? Yeah, 2020, the Class Pass Bangkok's Best Studio Award. Okay, now I want to come back to 2020 in a second. But when you look at that and, and you look at PR, how important was it for you to focus on that public relations and on creating that media image as you're launching your, your business and building your brand up? Yeah, I think it's huge because, you know, PR really gives you the opportunity to kind of tell the story of the brand more and get out like a more rounded, more impactful message, I think. You know, pretty photos on Instagram are cool. You know, landing pages are fine. They can bring in leads, which can convert to clients. But you kind of need something that surrounds that. And that's kind of getting out these powerful stories about, you know, why you built the brand that you did, the kind of people that you've helped, maybe the individual success stories that they've had. So yeah, that definitely plays, has played a big part for us. You know, what I found, and I, I, I worked with some magazines and publications back in the lab times you know journalists are quite lazy generally if you can give them a good story and a compelling story that people will actually want to read then they're usually pretty happy to take that so back in 2014 2015 i was just pitching publications you know i'll write articles for you we can do q and a's i had a blog that i was running as well and you know you just to be honest you just got to kind of keep hassling people and eventually they'll buckle. Or if you get an introduction to someone, you know, I got introduced to the managing director of the biggest English language magazine. This was in base days now, about 2017. Just an introduction, you know, to fellow expats in Bangkok. We had lunch, had a chat with him. And at the end, I was just like, look, I do enjoy writing. I've got a blog. I'd love to send for a few pieces. If you need kind of an expert opinion on health and fitness, I'd be happy to jump in and do that for you. So yeah, sure. Here's the editor's details. I sent through a few articles, pitched him on, on those. They grabbed one of them. And then I had a relationship with that magazine writing articles for, well, up until this present day. So yeah, I think PR is huge. It's important, especially in Thailand. And if you can create those cool stories, and that's important, you know, what's cool to you might not be cool to to other people you need to try and develop that lens and look at it through the eyes of someone else is that going to be interesting for someone and i think that's the part that some gyms find a little bit tricky you know it's just like we've opened up a new location that's not enough what's the angle what's what's going to excite people about that and so it, what's your elevator pitch for base what is what is the brand like how when somebody asks you about what the brand of base is how do you describe that brand you talked a little bit about the type of training you're doing but if someone's like new to that and new to that experience, how do you describe the experience of working out in your facility? 
So the the biggest USP for us is the hit and strength combo and our baseline technology. So if I just met someone, I'd be like, base is a hit and strength training studio. We offer group classes and personal training. What really makes us great is that we have technology that tracks and records your results as you go through a group class training program. So you really get to see yourself improve every single time you come to base because we feel like that's something that's missing in group class training. We have an app that's linked to that. So you get to see which sets are coming up before you come to base. You get to connect with other members there is a competitive element if you want to use that and we found this gets better results than your standard group class training program so you so you're taking metrics so if i'm a member then i'm tracking my metrics with every workout and allowing me to see the, the improvement is that what you're saying Yes, that's correct. So what we've done is develop, develop a technology surrounding our group class program. So as you go through the class, we link it into MindBody, our software yeah. booking system. You would hit Pete McCall after your run set. We have about five minutes on each set, depending on the class. Let's just keep it easy. It's five minutes just running. You would say, okay, I did 930 meters. And then every 15 days, we repeat those sets. We have the same thing for uh, assault bikes, rowing, and oh, then cool. also strength training as well. And then every three months, we mix up the programs again. Every year, we come back to it. So it's kind of like if you commit to base, if you give us time, we will show you you're getting fitter, faster, stronger. That's a really cool use of technology. And so you're using MindBody. What other tech are you using? Well, like what trackers, if any, are you using? So we've developed and built our own technology that's linked okay. in with MindBody. So it uses the MindBody API. And it's actually our branding company that did our website, you know, our, our brand assets that have also developed this tech. Um, so at the moment, it's all manual. Um, but it works very well. It works very seamlessly. It did take us a long time to get there. We're about two and a half years in. And it took us about a year just to get mm -hmm. to the point where you could kind of seamlessly enter your scores. and It was all linked to MindBody. But just to give you a, a different example, Pete, let's say we're doing, you know, six lunges left and right, six bench press. At the end of that set, you would just tap your name, tap in the weights that you lifted, let's say, for the bench press. And again, we would cycle that. So it is manually done from the clients, um, but it's very seamless, very easy. Um, clients have really embraced it. So about 85, 90% of our clients are actively using this tech. And then we have like a leaderboard. You can opt out if you want. So you can see how you've compared with other people during the day because all the way through the day would be the same sets across all locations. And then when you log into the app, you can see how you can compare with other branches you know hopefully in the future we hope to have like one branch versus another or perhaps singapore versus thailand we have plans oh, to, that's cool to go into singapore so now that we've built this infrastructure with the technology there's just so many cool ways in which we can use it we are looking at integrating heart rate monitoring into that as well so the particularly what i want to do with that is i want to show that not just your red when you're going hard and you're doing burpees and when you're doing strength training, it's lower. You know, because we repeat these same sets, I want to show you, Pete, that you ran a kilometer today, let's say on the treadmill, and your heart rate was, you know, 82%. Then 30 days later, you did that same set. Maybe you did the same time, but your heart rate's a little bit lower. So we know that your body is working more efficiently and you're effectively getting fitter. So we really want to link in heart rate with the actual output so that we can really see exactly, you know, how much fitter you're getting and how efficient your heart is. And now what, what might be helpful for listeners and for viewers, Jack, is 
every time I'm in Asia, I am blown away by how far ahead they are technology-wise than we are here in the States. And what I mean by that is everywhere you go, I was in China, what, two years ago now, and I go in, I go into my pocket and I pull out some yuan, their RMB, to pay for something, and the guys I was with were just laughing at me, like, mate, nobody pays for, nobody uses money anymore because they all use, they all pay with their phone and, and WeChat, right? I mean, yep. is Thailand WeChat or WhatsApp-based? Because most everything, everybody pays for stuff for their phone now, right? Yeah, so we've got Line. I don't know if you've heard of that, but I guess no, no. it's like a, yeah, it's kind of like WeChat. It's not quite as developed as WeChat. From what I've heard, WeChat pretty much does everything. Yeah, There's even does. like a dating app apparently woven into it. So Line is kind of like the equivalent of that. I mean, you know, people still do use cash, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty technology savvy, I would say, and certainly in China and Japan, very much so. And every time I'm on the tube there, or every time I'm on the BTS, Maybe ninety percent of the people are on their phone. They're they're whatever they're they're we they're WhatsApping, they're chatting, they're they're liming. It's it's amazing to me how how integrated that that country is or the the people are into technology. Not that we're not in the states, but they are. They do seem to be kind of a a step or two ahead in terms of integrating it into like paying for things. So the idea of people entering in their workouts doesn't seem. Yeah, I could see why that that technology is taken up pretty easily. Do you think like how do you think technology is going to evolve in the future? How do you think we're going to use being somebody who's on the cutting edge where you are and in a very cutting edge city? I mean, for people that haven't been to Bangkok, I really would say Bangkok is as modern, if not more modern than many states, many cities here in the U.S. Obviously, there are some areas that probably are a little bit uh, less developed, but you get that any city, any city here too. But I'm always amazed at how technologically advanced it is in Bangkok. But where do you see, on that note, where do you see the fitness tech going in the next three to five years? Yeah, they certainly love technology here. Certainly love social media. Definitely pretty engrossed in that on the SkyTrain. Pretty much just flicking through Instagram and Facebook. And it's quite interesting for me seeing people's scrolling habits, actually. Yeah. From a marketing perspective, it is yeah. interesting kind of what grabs their attention. Sometimes I just look over people's shoulders just to see the way they consume it because I think there's actually a lot to learn there. Look, in terms of technology, I think the way forward is, is, is wearables, really. And I think for us, that's something that we would want to incorporate into it. Of course, heart rate monitoring is like an obvious one, right? And you have your watches and stuff like that. What we would love, um, rather than inputting data you know, after you finish the set, which, you know, it is easy and it's pretty seamless, we want to actually make it so that when you step up to the treadmill, let's say, Maybe you've got something on your wrist, you beep in. Welcome, Jack. Today's set is interval training, minute fast, minute slow. You do your set. It finishes at five minutes, and then it just automatically records your score. Mm. And I think that really is the future of technology, really. The more um, seamless it is, the more that you don't actually have to do anything yourself, the better. I think, you know, what we've created is showing that people are willing to sort of enter their scores, and that's fine. And it's, like I said, 90% uptake is really great. But I think that's that's just kind of the future. It needs to be, um, you don't need to think about it, don't need to do anything, really. It just records it all automatically, and then you've got your apps, which kind of collects all the data. I think integrating different apps is, is, is a big one as well, moving forwards, and that's something that we're looking at. You know, we're speaking to one of the top heart rate monitor companies to see how we can integrate that into baseline. So I think, yeah, as seamless, as easy as possible, everything's collected in a way that's very easy to understand and easy to comprehend. And I think that's kind of where we're heading towards step-by-step, not just us at base, but, you know, as an industry as a whole. I have a side, I might have to put a buddy of mine in touch with you. He's a, um, he's putting together, he's looking at doing an aggregator of, he's trying to raise some money to buy some different fitness apps. And he wants to kind of like create a, an Uber, what he calls an Uber of fitness apps, kind of combine 
different features together. I've been advising him a little bit on that. And I, so I think it'd be an interesting conversation for you to have. And now we met through Core Health and Fitness. And I don't know if you've seen, I'm holding up my Apple Watch here for people that can't see on the podcast. But, and I, I know I'm not going to remember the name of it because on our new Star Trek treadmills, there's actually a feature where I can hold the Apple Watch up to the treadmill and it'll automatically start recording my workout. And I forget what they're calling that, but we, we have the, that API. So when people get on their, people get on up one of the Star Trek treadmills, all they need to do is put their watch face on that spot and all of a sudden, bang, it'll start recording what their indoor running workout is going to be. And so I really think, do you think people will be able to adapt to that? Because I'm kind of like, and, and here's where, where I think, I think it's going to be like an age issue. I think people my age and older are going to look at that and be like, I don't want to learn another technology, whereas people maybe 30 and under are going to, they're going to be looking for that. They're going to be wanting that type of technology. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, I'm 38 and I love going for a run with nothing, you know, no phone, no nothing, just going for a run. I find that I can really clear my head that way and I really get some great ideas on the business. I guess it's my personal form of meditation and that's important mm-hmm. to me. Whereas I know some people have got it strapped to their arm. Yeah. They're having a look to check their heart rate. They get a message through, you know, it tells them their message through their earpiece and that, that doesn't interest me at all. Whereas I think the younger generations certainly have known nothing different, right? They just had technology, you know, pretty much since they're born and you know our kids will have certainly had it since they were babies so certainly a generational shift and a generational change i do feel that you know older people such as ourselves like once we've used it and we've seen the benefits of it we do start to embrace it and i think with those people just making it as seamless and as easy as possible is is the most important thing i remember when i got my first my zone heart rate monitor and it just sat in the box for about six months because I just couldn't be bothered to be honest with you to set it up to go through the app in my head it was like another thing that I needed to do as soon as I did it and it was super easy and took about 10 minutes away I went and I've used it ever since so I think just making it as easy as possible is important you know let's say for example for base you know our, our, our typical age group is sort of early 20s to mid 30s but occasionally we do get older people come through we've got people doing our group classes at 50 55 and personal training right up to 70 if we have a strong onboarding process where we can show that person how the technology is going to help them. As long as it's easy for them to do, and it's not like an extra thing they kind of need to remember, and I think that's where wearables, such as the one you're wearing with Nautilus, comes in, then I think they will start to embrace it. Maybe not to the same level as youngsters, but ultimately if it's helping them get fitter, helping them be, you know, have more accountability and come more often, I think you know anyone can embrace it. Well, it's interesting you say that because to me, technology, like I go back, I use Strava when I go mountain biking and I always, what's fun for me is I compare my Apple watch to my Strava to see the difference. And there's usually somewhere between like a quarter mile and a half mile difference between what my watch says and what my, the GPS of my phone says. And they're both, they're maybe a half a meter apart from me. You know, this is on, the watch is obviously on my wrist and the phone is in my hip pocket when I'm riding my bike. And it, it always kind of, I'm always like, how do they get two different distances? You know, and they're not off by much and whatever the algorithm is or how they're using GPS. But I, I enjoy, I like, well, I'll go back through time to time and I'll go through periods, Jack, where I wear a heart rate monitor religiously and I, I track my heart rate with what I'm doing. And I really look at recovery. How quickly am I recovering? Once I get up to a certain point, how quickly do I recover? Because to me, recovery is fitness. The, the quicker you can get fit, the quicker you can get your breathing back. That When I played rugby, that was always like, how quick can you get your breathing back and how quickly can you get back to work? That That's fitness to me, is, is the ability to get back to work. But where I'm going with this 
is I, I see this and I appreciate being able to track data, but do you think that will come to a point, and it sounds like you're kind of going that direction with what you're working on, but do you think they'll come to a point where once you start getting 30 days, 60 days worth of my data, that, that this stuff will use AI and start pushing forward workouts? What I mean by that is like if I wear my watch, if I'm tracking my workouts on my phone, then I might get a message saying, hey, you've done two or three really hard workouts. You've got a couple meetings coming up at work the next day. Make sure you get to bed by 930. Why don't you take this meditation class or why don't you take this yoga class? Shall I schedule you? You know, I, I see that kind of like I, I see that being like the missing link in where all this wearable technology is going. Do you think we're going to get in that direction? Do you think we're going to be able to integrate AI into what we're doing? I think we're certainly heading that way. If you look at the companies that are leading the way in this area, absolutely, that's where we're going. One strong example is Whoop Band. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but they give you like a sleep score. They say how recovered you are. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I haven't used it myself, but I might get one sent over to Thailand and give it a go. But I just spoke to a gym that's opening up in Sydney, a podcast that will be coming out soon. And they're integrating that for that very reason. They're kind of going for a very high-end client, CEOs, stuff like that, typically going to be over 35, 40. And so they want to present them with an option so that when they come in, okay, you don't look 100% rested. We're going to dial it back a little bit today. We're not going to go as hard. We're not going to do that hit session. We're going to do like more, you know, like uh, a deload strength session, something like that. And so I think that's certainly the way that we're heading. And, you know, seeing this, we're only just taking the first steps really into this area. And I think if you look at any technologies, you know, when you first do it, it's a little bit ropey. It's not 100%. I've heard a few people say with the Whoop Band, they didn't always agree. It said they should rest and they just felt on top of the world and did an amazing session. But, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, you know, who knows what we're going to have attached to our bodies then, but then it might be really solid, really strong, you know, pretty much perfect. You know, maybe I don't know how good the technology is now, but just based on the anecdotal reports I've had, I kind of feel like there's some way to go as there is with any technology. So look, you know, I've definitely found that I recover slower for sure. You know, even sort of five, six years ago in my early thirties, I could pretty much smash out hard workouts every single day. And I don't feel at 38, that's still the case. So, you know, for me, something that would help to monitor that so I can still do my occasional tough sessions, hard sessions where I really smash it out into my forties and perhaps fifties. But, you know, with the view that I want to not completely burn out and want to still seeing progress would definitely appeal to me. So yeah, it's exciting stuff. Well, I think, and I think the big opportunity is looking at your schedule, right? Because Let's face it, a lot of people that, that use gyms and studios like yours and that, that use this kind of fitness tech tend to be more upper level in their, in their jobs and their careers. And what I really th- – because what I started doing was I started asking clients about, okay, when's your busy season? Like when's budget? When are you doing your budget forecasting? Because usually if people are going into their budget planning, they're going to be working a few few extra hours. They're doing a few little bit more work. Work is going to be a little more stressful when they're doing their budget or if they're closing the year out. Like when's your fiscal year end? Because if they're on like a July 1 fiscal, then June is going to be really busy trying to close out the year. The first two weeks of July are going to be busy. And then probably if they're on July 1 fiscal, probably around sometime around December or January is when they're going to be doing their budget for the next year. So I've started like kind of like trying to get ahead of that. And the other thing I've started doing, Jack, is asking like if, if, it's, if we're doing a workout like on Thursday, Friday or Saturday is like, all right, what are your plans for tonight? Meaning, and, and it's a little bit different in COVID times, but in general, it's also like, what are your plans tonight? Because if it's a Thursday night and you don't have any plans, I'm going to push you a little bit harder in class. I want you to go a little bit harder because I'm pretty sure you're going to get a good night's sleep. 
But if you're, it's a Thursday and you're telling me, well, we're going to go out for drinks or we're, you know, we're going out to this guy's birthday or I have tickets to this show, I'm going to tell you, hey, today is not going to be your hardest workout. I don't want you to push yourself really hard today. And you might say, why? Well, I'm like, your sleep is not going to be there tonight. You know, you're not going to have the sleep tonight. And so I don't want you to, I don't want you to overtrain. So I want you to kind of work a little bit easier now. If you're going out tonight, I want you to have fun tonight. I don't want you to, to rob yourself because you're not going to get a good night's sleep. Does that make sense? Have you guys, do any of your coaches start doing that with the clients that you have? Because I would imagine the challenge that you have is like right now, you're 9.30 a.m. on Monday, you're 15 hours ahead. So a lot of your people are having to work on New York time in international international finance and whatnot. Yeah, so... Yeah, that, that kind of helps lead, I guess, to how we use baseline as well. So a lot of it is based around your your personal bests, right? So it's a particular set. It's like how, um, you know, what's the maximum distance you've done over the five-minute run, if we use the same example. So with that particular example, let's say you come in, Pete, your personal best is 930 meters. I will say, look, Pete, how are you feeling today? And you'll be like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty fresh. I'm pretty well rested. You've been training much recently? Yeah, I've been training a lot. You know, I'm feeling pretty much at my peak. Okay, cool. So we're going to go into this five-minute set today. Let's see if we can get somewhere close or perhaps beat our 930 meters. But that's just done, you know, the old school way, right? Like verbally, just seeing yeah. how they feel. You know, we, we want to use the data that we're collecting in different ways, you know, perhaps get their average score, perhaps take into account how well they've slept. Perhaps in the future, we could say, okay, Pete, based on all the data that we have through the technology you're using, we want you to aim for 800 meters today. So you want to keep your pace at around about i don't know 10 miles 10 kilometers an hour whatever it might be so we do it kind of verbally in our group classes our personal trainers certainly do that they would you know we, we call them fitness coaches not personal trainers because they really want to get to know their client really understand exactly what's right for them at that moment on that day so that's kind of a given i feel it should be for personal training we want to bring that into group classes you know i think now there's a lot of like right we're going to smash it you're going to burn a million calories in this workout you know that's kind of where a lot of the sort of franchises have, have, have gravitated towards yeah. We want to make it a bit more nuanced, you know, get to know people better and give them better advice on where they're at. At the moment, a lot of that's verbally. We're kind of bringing technology into it. You know, I just think technology is going to affect that process more and more. I mean, if I could just put a question back to you, Pete, how would you feel kind of, okay, you need to eat this at this time. The technology is telling us that, you know, your sleep was not very good today. Do you think there's a, a, a risk of overanalyzing this stuff, getting a bit too much information? Yeah. I don't know, even from a mental health perspective. Well, well yes and no, right? Because, I mean, I, I think that's a great question because yes and no, I think at some point we want to be able to monitor these data points. Like my... The thing that I take a lot of work at or take, spend a lot of time on with what I write about and other things I do is, is how exercise affects the aging process and slows down the aging process. And I just read a book by David Sinclair, which really goes into what, what his proposition is, is that aging is, is a disease and that you can find a cure for the disease, whether that's in telomeres, whether that's in certain phytonutrients we take in, how we affect cellular health. So I think there's a point where having some data is good. And if my goal, if I have a specific goal of I want to be able to live to 120 or 130 years old, and if, if the watch tell me to eat this amount of, to eat, you know, 30 grams of carbohydrate, 10 grams of protein, 8 grams of fat at 3.15 p.m. for my 6 o'clock workout, well, you know, I'm going to be committed to that and bought into that because I know that that data point is going to get me to where I want to go. But I think unless you really buy into that, I, I don't think people, it, it just matters what they want to commit to, right? Like anything else. It's like, 
how am I going to use it? You know, where where is it going to come from? Because I really do think, I mean, I, I really do think we're, we're at the precipice right now, mate. I think in another 10 or 20 years from everything I've read, we're going to have people that, that do it right. We're going to have people extending their lifespan into 110, 120 years, to 120 years of age. And exercise, nutrition, sleep is all going to be key components of it. So I think we're all going to be, as we learn this stuff, we're going to be using these data points a lot better, a lot more comprehensively. Is there going to be a fatigue and maybe lead to depression? That's a good mental health question, right? Because, hey, who's to say that if I got seven and a half hours of sleep tonight instead of eight, I'm going to be, it's, what's that going to do to my, just my psychology, right? Because I'm not sleeping enough. I think there, that's where it gets a little dodgy. And, and earlier I was giggling a little bit when you said smash, because that's the one thing I love about working with, with, with my friends in, in like the UK and Australia is you guys have a slightly different vernacular. <laughs> and, and so for listeners, smash means get after it. I mean, I think you can kind of understand that. But anytime I've been in Australia or anything, anytime I've been overseas, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to smash it. Today's going to be a smashing workout. I mean, I just love that different vernacular. Now, and because you think, let me ask you this, because and then I want to talk a little bit about your fitness business podcast before we talk about 2020. What role do you think, art of, not AI, but what role do you think virtual reality is going to play in the fitness industry? Like, are people starting to do virtual reality, like kind of the fitness gaming over in Asia? Is that something you've seen yet? Or do you think we're still a couple years away? Yeah, it's a good question, Pete. And it's not one that I feel particularly well qualified to answer because I haven't okay. really tried any of these things. I've seen them kind of on YouTube videos and stuff like that. It's certainly not something that's commonly used here. I mean, I kind of feel, and the, the ones I have tried, you know, computer games and stuff, it kind of gave me motion sickness. And I guess just being a little bit older, I'm a bit more of a traditionalist, a bit more of a purist, you know, rather than wearing a VR headset on a treadmill, I'd rather actually go out to the woods, like I said, with no technology and do it. But you know, hey, I'm 38, I'm not 18. Maybe those guys feel differently. I mean, again, I kind of feel like it just depends on how good it is. You know, if it really does get to that level where you're stuck in the city and you can't go out, and it really does feel exactly the same, you can be surrounded by amazing waterfalls and spaceships or whatever, (laughs) then hey, you know, I'm sure people will be throwing themselves into it but yeah for me it almost seems a little bit depressing that to be honest with you like let's just try and get out there if we can like i'm with you 100 percent. but earlier you said i mean and i and i'm just and i'm not throwing this back at you in a negative way but you said something very offhand when you look at that younger generation somebody who's 18 years old they have grown up with the iphone they have grown up basically with the ipad and i think and and, and trust me mate i am with you i I'm much more, let's grip something heavy. Let me let me work here. I've tried one or two VR headsets and they make me dizzy. I don't particularly like them. I don't care for them. But I see the younger generation, Generation Z, those people that are now 15 to 20-year-olds, maybe they're not health club members yet, but another five to 10 years when they get out of university and when they start having their first jobs and they start joining, unfortunately, that's going to be their expectation, right? They've grown up in that environment and so I'm just one of these people where it's like, I might not like it, but what I like doesn't really matter when we're trying to look at what the fitness customer of the future is using. And, and personally, what yeah, I sure. might, yeah. you know what I mean? I mean, I'm not, I, I, th- I think it's important to make that distinction. I think, yeah, it's a good point. Like maybe how you and I sort of feel what's best might not be actually what happens. And I think, you know, I really value the time growing up when I didn't have technology and I'm kind of glad that was the case. But, you know, you literally see babies with phones here. Like I'm talking like full on babies, you know, they're sort of scrolling and stuff and opening up apps. And so they will, you know, maybe if, if, if VR headsets become big, you might have VR headsets for babies. And in Asia, they're quite happy to just throw their children into these things. I think we consider it a little bit more in the US that it might not be 
healthy or might not be right. But hey, here in Asia, they generally don't seem too bothered with that because they are so interwoven with technology. So look, if a baby's born in five years and they're using VR headsets from the day they're born, they're probably going to be a lot more happy to oh, do man, it. Maybe they'll be not, scared by going into a, the that, jungle uh, and running through it. You know? That's blowing my mind. I don't think, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, my daughter at, at two or three years old, my daughter could swipe through. I would put my daughter in like, a, like if I wanted 10 minutes to myself, I'd give my older daughter my iPhone. And within like four or five swipes, she'd go from whatever Sesame Street she was watching to some other, something 100. She figured out how to do that. And the funniest conversation is I'm trying to get my kids to picture what life was like without iPhones. I'm like, you know, when your mommy and I started dating, we didn't have iPhones or iPads. And it blows their mind, dude. I mean, like, <laughs> they're like to them, it's like, what, what do you mean you didn't have iPads? Because it, it is. And so I try to I try to wear that lens sometimes. That That's the lens I try to wear sometimes. They're like, okay, where is where is the gym going to evolve to? Does, does it necessarily maybe going to align with I think it, it should? Mm. The consumer is going to drive the market, right? I mean, the consumer is going to create the market. Now, on that note, let's shift gears. I want to ask you a little bit about your podcast. How long have you been doing the fitness? It's Fitness Business Asia, right? Yeah, Fitness Business Asia podcast launched it in 2018, so about two and a half years ago now. And it was going into 2019, I made a commitment to do a weekly episode. So half the episodes are me talking about our experiences at base. And then half are bringing in, you know, people such as yourself. Like, it'd be great to repost this from the Fitness Business Asia podcast, for example, Absolutely. so we can learn from guys like you. Um, originally, it was fitness business leaders within Asia. And then when COVID hit, I'd never done a Zoom interview. So mm. all I'd done was face-to-face. That was kind of yeah. my thing. I was like, no, wait till I'm in Hong Kong, wait till I'm in Singapore, we'll do it there. But actually one advantage that came out of COVID is it helped us to have these kind of conversations. I started bringing in people from the US, from Australia, but still with that mission of helping us raise the standards of the fitness industry in Asia. You know, that's like our mission. You know, I see a lot of business owners here that don't do a great job. Uh, they kind of don't embrace the business side of it. And it's always sad when you see a business fail, you know, that's someone's life savings, their dreams. And also it's not good for the wider industry as well. You know, I want to see the industry grow, develop and thrive because it's in line with my original mission of helping people get fitter and stronger. So it's been awesome. You know, it's how we had some incredible conversations. I've learned a lot and definitely going to continue that moving forwards as well. Well, I'm going to let you in and I'm going to keep this here for listeners too, because I've said it one or two times on the podcast. I mean, selfishly, Jack, I love doing these interviews because I learn something with every time I do an interview, it doesn't matter with whom, I either get a new perspective, I legitimately learn something new I didn't realize. And to me, I mean, I love having these conversations. And one of the reasons why I started this podcast all about fitness was because I would travel to an event like Fitness Asia, and I might be sitting in the in the United Lounge in Narita with Len Kravitz for two hours, and might just have an offhand conversation with with Len, who's one of the big researchers on HIT here in the states. Yep. Or you know, I might be hanging out with my friend Fabio, and we might be having a conversation. So what I was trying to capture on this podcast originally was just trying to capture some of these conversations, but now I'm just trying to you know bring so much more and try to get more information out to consumers. And what I like about this is I want people to understand that fitness is international. So with that, let's talk about how often do you get to Singapore or HK or KL or how often do you get to travel to other cities in, in the region? Well, at the moment, not much, of course. Well, so the last time I traveled was just over a year ago, which I just noticed <laughs> we're looking for my passport the other day. But before that, a lot. Yeah. So one thing that I love to do is any city that I go to, I'll visit all the top gyms there. You know, I have as many conversations as I can with as many people. That was something I did before even I started the podcast or before even base New York. I uh, went there a couple of times and, did, you know, took all of the top fitness classes there and gave me a lot of like 
inspiration you know just seeing how they created the brand the experience the coaches there are usually top notch some gyms are good some gyms not so good which is interesting to see in the world's leading fitness market so certainly learned a lot there did the same thing in london as well and then with the podcast i basically started doing it to meet more people as well so not only would i go and do the classes but i would meet the owners interview them you know me and my girlfriend went on some pure fitness holidays so we went to kale and singapore for a week you know, four days in one, four days in the other, and just went to every single fitness studio there and just learned so much through that process. You know, you learn a lot about what to do. And it's not like literal direct things. Oh, I'm going to put that in my class or this in my class. It's kind of how they create the whole experience. How easy is it to book the class online? How do they welcome you when you come through the door? What music do they play in the bathrooms? Like all of these little things I think you can learn a lot from. And also you learn a lot of what not to do as well. You know, I think you probably learn just as much there than you do from what, what to do. You know, there's a lot of things I'm like, I need to make sure that does not happen at base. You know, they're going in the front desk is eating and they're on their yeah. phone or something. It's like, that can't happen at base. I need to make sure our training is there, our processes are there so that doesn't happen. So that was incredibly enriching. And then just, you know, the many conversations I've had, you know, such as yourself, I was going to these conferences. Obviously, I've been to AFC a lot. I was going to the Fit Summit in Asia as well. And I was like, hey, why don't I tie this in with having these great conversations and letting other people hear them as well? And yeah, final thing I'll say on that, I totally agree. The, the missions of the podcast sound selfless, but of course, there's a big selfish aspect to it as well. I've learned a huge amount, made loads of great connections. I really enjoy doing it as well. So it's not all yeah, selfless reasons. Well, it's just it, it, it allows you to have these conversations and so what which one of those cities besides bangkok and besides base those are obviously your favorites and they're probably top notch in the region where's what's the one city that when you think of fitness in asia what do you think one city kind of personifies that Singapore, for sure, is the leader in Asia. Singapore and Hong Kong, I would say, are tier one cities. Then you have KL, Bangkok, perhaps Jakarta and Manila, perhaps, are kind of your tier two. And then you've got other tier three cities, such as perhaps Myanmar and Hanoi, which are just kind of coming into the mix, uh, Ho Chi Minh and Vietnam. So, yeah, Hong Kong and Singapore, and for me, Singapore wins every single time. Um, very busy fitness market, loads happening, loads going on. That's why we want to take base there. It excites me to put well, a base in the hands of more people, but also throw it into the mix of a busy fitness market to see how we do. We've already talked about our differentiators on this podcast. I want to see how those fare against your Orange Theories, your Barry's Bootcamps, your F45s. So that's kind of what we want to go into that market. And yeah, it's an exciting place to be. Lots happening. And I see that as the hub of Asia Fitness. Well, it's interesting. I've been to Singapore two, maybe two or three times. There was one time I was I was in Singapore literally for 24 hours. I flew in, I did something, and then I I forget where I went the next day. But I don't even think I slept more than it was one of those one of those nights where I barely got to sleep in the hotel before I had to wake up and get the car to the to the airport. But Singapore to me, and when I spent the second trip, I went there. I spent about four or five days, and I agree with you. It, it really is number one. The city is extremely modern. I mean, it, it blows me away. And some of their rules, I guess you can't have cars more than 10 years old. It costs like an arm and a leg to buy a car in the first place. It's, it's just so coming there as a foreigner and you see it, you're just blown away by the city. But to me, it was a very dynamic fitness market. It was very, it, yeah, I've been to, I've been to Singapore. I've been to Jakarta. I went to um, Go IFEX in 2015. So it was a very interesting time to be in Jakarta. And, and for listeners, I would say Jakarta and Manila 
have the worst traffic I've ever been in the world, maybe besides Moscow. Because there was one time I flew, I flew from Hong Kong to Manila, and may, it took me longer to go from the airport, maybe 10, 12 kilometers from the airport to my hotel in Manila. It took me longer than the flight from Hong Kong to, to Manila. <laughs> Just, You're better off walking a lot of the time, even with your suitcase. It, it was. But, so I've been in Manila. Seen the, I, I first went to Manila maybe 2015. Uh, was Jakarta in 2015. First trip to hate Hong Kong was somewhere around there. I went to, to Shanghai for the first time in 2014. And it really has been amazing just to see that exponential growth. And, and the thing is, the penetration rate, meaning the number of percentage of people that are members of health clubs, is still relatively low, right? Yeah. Where, do you think, where do you think fitness is going to go? What do you think the future of the fitness industry is in the region? Yeah, it's it's such a good question because it's it's what gets me so excited about fitness in Asia and you know penetration rate in Thailand I believe now is about one percent. Oh wow! Man, ten years ago when I first got in the fitness industry, it would have been zero point one, so definitely ten x for sure, no doubt about it. And then five years before that, I'm sure it was even lower. They're just like London when you first went there, there just yeah, weren't yeah. really any gyms full stop. In Singapore now, I think we're about six or seven percent, oh, wow. and you can see that, you can feel it. Everybody can can afford this kind of training. Everyone can pay for like their boutique fitness membership so there's really a lot happening there and interestingly in singapore what you've seen is even the suburban areas can have these sort of high-end premium studios you know 24-hour gyms are also doing very well there and you just sort of see it spread out throughout the island whereas somewhere like you know jakarta or bangkok it's kind of concentrated in the center and as soon as you start going outside you can't charge as much and you know the more premium offerings i think would struggle there you know i think that will change for sure in in the future obviously there's been a bit of a hiccup up at the moment let's call it but i think once we come out of this i think we'll only see that that rise upwards you know base at the moment couldn't really open anywhere else in thailand but i certainly predict five ten years down the line we could have one in chiang mai we could have one in phuket maybe even in the northeast there's some up-and-coming cities there you know some fresh young bangkok brands and fnb are starting to open up there so you know indonesia is 0.1 percent gym hmm. penetration rate so that just gives you an idea of the scale of the opportunity. Now, of course, in central Jakarta, it's going to be higher than that. But yeah, massive opportunity for growth that, you know, you just don't really see in the West, which is obviously more developed. Well, we were introduced by Frank O'Rourke, who's the VP for the region for Core Health and Fitness. And and he knows, I mean, I, I've kind of played around. Do I want to go spend a year over in Asia? Like, would I want to do it? Part of me would, would want to do that. But then my kids are at the age where it's been, it'd be so tough for me. It'd be tough for me to leave them. But part of me does want to have that experience like you've talked about you're helping develop this whole new industry and you're seeing it grow now on that note let's talk a little bit about you just referred we've referred to it one or two times and what blew me away before i hit record jack is what you're saying about how covid affected the fitness industry so number one if you could talk a little bit about how thailand how covid affected thailand and number two your your experience as your club came back into operations what kind of happened with that as you guys got the green light so we're certainly ahead of the U.S. And I think there's certainly some lessons to learn for the U.S. and from, from, for the West from what, what's happened here. But then also maybe there's going to be some differences as well. You know, we haven't seen a huge amount of deaths. There's been 83 deaths, I think, up to today. So obviously nothing compared to the U.K., nothing compared to the U.S. So I don't know how that's going to affect the countries differently. But certainly in Asia, what we saw is when we came back and opened up again, people just wanted their lives back. You know, they wanted to come back into the gym. They didn't want to be doing burpees and air squats in front of the TV anymore and in bangkok most people live in smaller places in condos you know it's not like they've got a garage that they've transformed into this incredible gym you know some people have but really not that many and so what we found is people really wanted to come back in so our online numbers were actually fantastic 
you know, as soon as we closed, we threw all our energy and effort, like every gym in the world, towards creating this great online offering. So we invested into it. We used one of our gym locations. We got a video camera and everything else. We got it professionally edited. And it really did look great. Our original goal was to get 50 members on recurring membership. We got 150. Oh, wow. So it really was a runaway success. We had old base members who were living in Singapore, living in the UK and Australia, jump back onto the platform. So it was awesome on many levels. Super happy, brought in some important revenue, helped us to pay our staff. Really, you know, great on every level. As soon as we opened again, those numbers just plummeted. I think now we've got about 20 people still on the platform. And, you know, it went down very quickly. And I did expect that. I did almost think that would be a good thing because it showed that we've created something special at base that people want to come back to. But I just didn't predict it going down in the way that it did. You know, our Zoom classes went from like 2025 to like three, two, zero. Doing a Zoom class with one person is pretty damn depressing. Trust me. <laughs> okay, just yeah, weren't yeah. too happy about that. So we just phased that out over a few weeks and we just kept our on-demand live pre-recorded sessions. For me, the reason why I see that as a success is because we've created so much at base that you just can't get at home. The technology that we have, of course, we use treadmills, rowers, bikes, which you can't get at home or a difficult, sorry, to get at home. Our coaches are bang on it. They want to be there. They give you a great time. It's a real experience that we've created. You know, all the little touch points are there. The front desk staff are very friendly and you just can't get that at home. You know, so I kind of wanted that to happen. I was actually quite encouraged that it happened, but it was just interesting to see. I still thought more people would be like, okay, I'll go to base two times a week. I'll train at home two times a week. But we haven't really seen that. And I think if you look at all the online offerings, how do you differentiate? A friend of mine's doing the latest online strength hit workout thing in London at the moment. I did it with him when he came to Thailand. He's been here recently. He did the whole quarantine thing. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. It's well produced. But I could create something very much like that. You know, you wouldn't know the difference. It's all dumbbell squats, presses, you know, renegade rows, mountain climbers. Look, that's all fine. But how do you differentiate? I think that's just what makes it so hard in the online space. So it's been interesting to see. I've actually, you know, it's helped us throw more energy back into that in-person experience whilst keep that online offering there if anyone wants to use it. Well, and see, that's my thought, mate, is that people, what we've been through this last year where we've had to isolate and and we've had to work from home and everything, I really feel that we're going to see a a renaissance of fitness over the next year and beyond. I, I really, I'm very bullish on the fitness industry because especially here in the States, companies are starting to pare back their office buildings. And a lot of people are going to be working from home going forward because companies are saying, hey, why am I paying, why am I paying for class A office space when my people are just as productive being at home or just as productive in Zoom meetings? So I really see that as companies do that, as companies streamline their workforces and as people, more people get into this work from home mindset, the gym is going to be that third place, you know, where where the UK twenty years ago you go to the pub or or you maybe go to the coffee shop for to to kind of hang out with your friends for a little bit. I really do think that that once people get vaccinated here in the states and once we go through that, I really I believe fully that people are going to come into the gyms because that's going to be their respite, right? They want to get out of home. They want to get they want to come back and be social, and it allows them to do that. So. I'm personally, I'm bullish on gyms. Maybe we're maybe here in the States, we're about six months, maybe 12 months. We're, we're recording this right at the end of February, right in the beginning of March. It's actually, I just realized that it's March one for you and I'm February 28. So we're right on that. We're on that cusp. But I really think by the end of 2021 and definitely by halfway through 2022, I think we're going to see a resurgence because the other thing that really, I think when people go back and look at the data 
is they're going to say, okay, somebody who is healthy, somebody who is fit, if they got COVID, maybe they got sick for a week or two, but they survived. They came through it pretty much without being without it being seriously affected. Obviously, they're going to be outliers. Obviously, some people passed away who are very healthy and fit, but those are the extreme outliers. Most of the people who make health and fitness a priority, I think, didn't have that didn't have that from experience from COVID. So I think that's going to get people to start thinking, wow, I need to start exercising more to take more control. And I'm, I'm surprised. I'm going to come back to this, mate, because I'm surprised only 83 people in, in uh, Thailand passed. Yep. So uh, what's happened is we've had a second wave and it's hit the migrant community. We've seen the same thing in Qatar, the same thing in Singapore. The immigrant workers are typically young. They're typically active. They're typically healthy. Right, because they're all aged between sort of 20 and 35, and they're construction workers, stuff like that. And so actually they're able-bodied, active, healthy people. And so the death rates have been unbelievably low. Mm. Singapore, I believe, is 40,000 cases with I think about 30 deaths. Wow. And it's because it's ripped through a young, healthy population. Same thing in Thailand. It's come into the immigrant community. And so it's kind of factory workers, stuff like that. And they're just not, you know, your high-risk populations, you know, very low incidence of diabetes, certainly no obesity or very, very little, I would have thought. And so that just kind of, it's, it's provided an interesting case, actually, for just how low the stats are when people are fit, young, healthy, and strong. Now, of course, you know, if it goes to an old people's home, it's different. But yeah, yeah definitely interesting to see. Well, the interesting thing, too, is what Frank told me about Singapore when he came back in the country one time is he was on a two-week quarantine, and he had to check in every day from WeChat. They had The government would call you every day on video camera to make sure. So there's something to be said about very strict government controls. As much as people might not like them, the numbers speak for themselves with that, right? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons for Asia's success is that people are more obedient here. The government have more control. You know, one of the things I love about the UK and the US is, you know, the freedom that we have to say and do what we think. Typically, you don't get that as much in Asia, generally, if you're the local population, especially, but it's definitely helped people control COVID. So yeah, lots of sort of philosophical and political angles you could go on with that. But it's definitely been interesting to see. And we've definitely, I think, benefited from that. Yeah, I mean, and this has been, I think it's been a major experience. I think everybody's learned something from it. And as much as I've missed not traveling the last year, the last trip I had was to Dubai last February and early February. And this is the longest time I haven't been on a plane my entire life. Even when I was a kid, we would take a family vacation at least once a year getting on a plane. So I think it, it, since I was like a baby, even when I was a baby, my parents told me they took me backpacking around Europe when I was like maybe a year, year and a half old. So I think this has been the longest time I haven't been on a plane. Do you see your travel picking up anytime soon? What What's happening with, with the freedom to move uh, in the countries of, of Asia? Yeah, so it's it's difficult still. You know, it's quarantined pretty much in every country. And I think because Frank's a resident of Singapore, he gets to go home. But if I went to Singapore, I'd have to stay in a hotel for 14 days and then a hotel again when I came back for 14 days. So it's difficult to say, really. I mean, I've taken some domestic flights. So domestic travel is very much up and running here. Cases are very low again. So that's just nice. And we're quite lucky in, in Thailand that we have beaches. We've got jungle. We've got cities. we kind of got it all. Singapore, I feel a bit more sorry for them because it's a city-state. So you're kind of stuck on that little hey, island there's but nowhere to go <laughs> there isn't no and so i think dubai would be tough i think singapore would be tough being stuck there i know some people are getting a bit claustrophobic but yeah you know I, I guess yeah vaccine passports i guess you know something along those lines shortly difficult to say how that will pan out but i know fit summit are planning a big summit in bangkok in november 
Oh, wow. Ross, who runs the Fit Summit, is very bullish on that. He seems to think that things will be up and running, and I very much hope he's right. So we shall see. But yeah, I guess around the world, we're looking at things like that, right? Vaccine passports and the like. Yeah, we're not really looking. I mean, I don't think the projections, I think Idea World is usually a big, the biggest conference here in the States. That's usually in the summer. I think they're planning to go virtual again this year. And I think there are a couple conferences being planned for like August and on. So we're looking at like third quarter, um, not, you know, well, first month, August is the second month of the, of the third quarter. So yeah, I, I think that's where we're, we're going to be before we get back to live events here, um, before we get back up and running. Well, Jack, I'm looking forward to live events for sure. I kind of want those back. I'm looking forward to live events. I kind of want that in-person networking experience, beers afterwards. It's just not quite the same on Zoom. As much as I as I enjoy these video conferences, there's something to be said about sitting down at a table, hanging out for a little bit. And now the one place that that I've been to a few times in Bangkok, usually we go to on Sunday night because – because they'll come pick us up um, when we're, we're, we're there speaking for the event for AFC. They'll come pick us up at like 3 a.m. on Monday to take us to the airport. And we're going to be on a plane for 12 hours. You usually stay up all night the night before, at least I do, to try to get back on, to get back on clock. But it's it's like an ice bar. It was an ice bar. And it oh, has yeah. like, oh, no. the big boy band. With the big boy band. And for yep, people, yep. if you ever get to Bangkok, I, I really suggest look for the ice bar because this band – they can cover. They can cover the hell out of any '80s. They're playing Metallica. They're playing Journey, but they don't know the singer does it phonetically. So, like, oh, I didn't realize that was the lyrics to the song. They can nail the music, but the singer is kind of a little bit off on his. Uh... <laughs> they kind of find their way around it somehow. They kind of make it work. Yeah, it's Sukhumvit Soy Twenty Two. If okay. anyone's listening, but I'm not sure if it's still up and running. Yeah. So I'll, uh, hopefully, I'll go and check it out. See if it is. Give, give people, if you could, give people the contact information for how they could get information about base or uh, the podcast or the ice bar as well (laughs) yeah i will um yeah i'll I'll send you the links you can leave it on the episode notes but base bangkok just search that anywhere basebangkok.com fitness business asia you can either google that fitness business asia and apple or spotify podcast or fitnessbusinessasia.com very easy to find jack thomas on linkedin um linkedin slash fitness business asia again and I really think, man, I really, I'm glad you, you followed up and I'm glad we got a chance to have this conversation. I know it's long overdue. It's really, I can't wait to be giving you a high five and hang out in person and uh, be able to have this conversation in real life. As much as I like the two-dimensional version of you, I'm looking forward to, to seeing the three-dimensional version. So I appreciate your time this, uh, this morning, your morning, my evening. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Pete. No, I really appreciate the opportunity as well. And hopefully at the end of this year, perhaps we can meet up and have a beer. And I just also want to say, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Always great to meet people in the fitness industry uh, all over the world. And thank you for your positive messages on the fitness industry as well. You know, I think it's good to speak to people that are bullish on the future of fitness, that feel positive about it. We feel exactly the same as you on the Fitness Business Asia podcast. And we're really keen on getting these messages out. So thank you. Thank you for helping us do that. Again, if you want to see that interview as well as hear it, go to the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. That's the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. I've been posting my interviews up there when I can record them, and I'm putting up a lot of great information on there. So you can go there, see exercise how-tos, learn how to use exercise different ways, be inspired by the guests. That's the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. As I mentioned in the beginning, I want to bring you, to me, All About Fitness means all about fitness. Now, while most of the interviews are about education and how to use fitness to enhance your quality of life, I also like talking about the business of the industry. I'm very fortunate to have great access to all levels of people working in the industry, so it's fun for me to have these conversations 
about how the industry works so you can learn more. It doesn't matter whether you're a fitness professional, whether you're an executive, or whether you're a fitness consumer. It doesn't hurt you to learn more about how the business operates and how the industry operates. And that's really why I wanted to have that discussion with Jack. And I found it fascinating. I found it really fascinating because one of the biggest conversations I've been having for the last three or four months among colleagues is what's going to happen after COVID? What's going to happen? Are people going to stay at home and do virtual workouts? Will people feel comfortable returning to the gym? And I found it fascinating that in Thailand, and Thailand's a rather large country, I found it fascinating that Thailand had a very low incidence of mortality from COVID. And even more, it blew me away when Jack said that people came back to the gym, they ended up stopping their virtual training program. I think that's a really good sign. And I'm really bullish. If I could buy stock of the fitness industry itself, I would do that. Because I'm really bullish. I think over the next year or two, as vaccines and vaccinations get around the country, as we kind of develop the herd, the herd immunity, as they call it, I really do believe that we are in for a fitness boom in the United States. You've heard me talk about this on the podcast. The early data is very strong that those of us who are fit, those of us that are healthy, those of us that make fitness and health a priority in our lives, yes, there were some fatalities. But for the most part, if you're fit, if you're active, if you're healthy, if you got COVID, yeah, it was miserable for a couple of weeks, but it wasn't fatal. And I really think that COVID is going to be the thing that kind of gets people to be more active, to do more fitness, to think more holistically about their lifestyle. Hopefully, it gets people to change their habits. Hopefully, it gets people to adopt new, healthier habits that can ensure that the next time, if there is a pandemic, and there'll probably be a next time, but the next time we have a pandemic, if you're fit, if you're strong, your immune system is strong, you know how to fight disease, and you know how to take care of your body. I found that fascinating that they had that people came back into the gym so quickly. I really think that's going to be the case here. Whether or not you feel comfortable with it, that's your personal decision. I know I go to the gym. They just started uh, indoor operations again here in California. You wear a mask. You do it. It's, it's all good. You know what? It's a little discomfort, but hey, I'm just glad to be lifting heavy weights again. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Either sign up for my mailing list or check under programs, buy a workout program, buy an ebook, buy an education course. Those are ways that you can support the podcast. Remember to go to the All About Fitness Podcast channel on YouTube. And if you're on Instagram, check out the All About Fitness Podcast feed on Instagram. On the All About Fitness Podcast feed, I try to put up exercise tips, how-tos, and show you how I'm applying exercise to my life. I want to say a big thank you, and as always... Thanks for stopping by, and I certainly look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.